This week on Physio Foundations, I'm talking to physical therapist or physiotherapist and strength coach, Dr. Scott Morrison, about assessing strength and the application of strength and conditioning principles in rehabilitation. Welcome to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week. This is a podcast about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. And my guest this week is Scott Morrison from, I was going to say from Portland, Oregon, formerly from Portland, Oregon in our chat before the podcast, but now uh, in Florida, USA. And Scott's a board certified orthopedic physical therapist, certified strength coach. And this is the first time we've had a chat. We've had lots of discussions on and social media and, and different emails. So I thought, why would I not record this for the podcast? There's, there's going to be some gold and information. We finally set up a chance for a Zoom. And because I'm a sharing kind of guy, I thought I'd share the conversation with you. So we'll let Scott tell us all about his background and who he is without too much of an introduction from me. So Scott, welcome to Physio Foundations and thanks for coming on board for a chat. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad it uh, timing worked out for us. It sure did. So let's do a, a bit of a brief introduction to you and what you do. So I've mentioned you're an orthopedic physical therapist, also a board certified strength coach. So how, how long have you been a physio or a physical therapist for? And before that, um, where did you work as a strength coach? Yeah, so I, um, I finished or I started working more in a just a typical college gym as a trainer, uh, I think 2006 or 2007. So I usually tell people around 2006, seven, I started paying my bills um, by doing exercise and coaching. And then somewhere around 2009, I realized that I wasn't going to pay many bills that way and went back to PT school. So um, that was basically through that time, I, I held a few different roles. Uh, the more interesting ones were working as a director of a medical fitness center where um, worked with a lot of athletes one-on-one -on -one programming worked with a lot of uh, general population also got to lead a lot of uh, more broad population-based uh, healthcare initiatives like uh, diabetes childhood obesity stuff like that so it was a interesting role that i got to do a number of different things um I was strength coach for a little while for a high school wrestling team as well during that time where I did that. So got some of the high school uh, experience in there, um, started PT school and uh, did that while I also did uh, continued working at the other place. So finished up that. Uh, what is it? It's going on uh, getting close to 10 years ago now and um, came out and started off still doing a little bit of both, but um, kind of moved more and more into the uh, PT and sports med world, um, spent some time as director of medical services for the professional referee organization here uh, within the uh, major league soccer, started my own practice where I do a lot of consulting um, at collegiate professional level, as well as a few other places, uh, and also treated full time. And then um, as of little over a year now transitioned into the tactical world where I work within the high performance sports team uh, there where and I still do consulting and uh, some education on the side. Um, so yeah, those are the the main areas. I've also been uh, in slowly ramping up uh, this uh, PhD process in the background. So keep myself somewhat busy. And uh, that's, yeah, I think my career to date. Yeah, busy man. All right. So thanks for that introduction to you. So let's talk about some of the 
the stuff that we can really use every day in physiotherapy practice. And so one of the things that uh, originally got me interested in having a discussion with you, and I think you contacted me as well and DMs on Twitter, was a shared interest in measuring strength. And so you've got a website called physiopraxis.co, which is filled with all this really useful uh, information and resources for clinicians on how you can measure strength in clinical practice. And you and I have just recorded a podcast for the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast, or MMRU podcast, just before talking here. So if listeners are interested in more the research-focused discussion that we had, you can go and look that episode up. Um, but I really want to talk more generally to clinicians who are potentially going to upgrade their methods in clinical practice and start measuring strength more accurately. So can you tell us a little bit about your interest in measuring strength and you know what you've developed on that website? Yeah, so the interest in measuring strength comes from the fact that most of what I deal with is humans who are moving. And uh, they're typically moving within a very specific situation with uh, near near or maximal um, levels of performance, right? So time is constrained, like we were talking about. And so force then needs to be something that is relevant there. Um, I, you know, measuring strength, I'd say early on, the interest came just from lifting weights and you always wanted to see how much you could bench press, right? And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, okay, it's not just the bench press, squat and deadlift matter too. And you go compete in powerlifting some. And so you start some of that formal type looking at, okay, where we go and we now get tested at this point. And uh, during that uh, time period undergrad also started doing so uh, we did a paper on grip strength in powerlifters. So then started looking at a little bit of formalizing. All right. So just these are strong people, but grip strength isn't necessarily always what we'd expect from that group. And that got me thinking, all right, why, why is this right? So what is, what is strength actually? Cause if you tell someone, you know, that person's strong, you have a general idea of it. And there's a variety of tasks that you would have an expectation of that individual's ability to perform within that task. But there's no way to measure that. We can't really quantify it, right? So this is where the idea of strength as a construct is is important, but we need a way to actually define that. So we need to operationalize our strength. And most of what we do in a clinical setting is take a isometric peak measure. Why do we do that? Well, because it's the most stable method. It's the easiest method. And it's probably the most fundamental thing that matters. Everything seems to come from that basic level of strength. So that's kind of what got me interested and started looking into it. And then you start realizing that, well, joint angles matter and um, the cueing that you use matter. And uh, this whole host of a test is not a test. It's not a test, right? You can do the same thing and get very different results. And then you start thinking, okay, well, this whole concept of reliability isn't just about arrows around a bullseye. It actually matters from a clinical perspective, right? You should be able to go in. And what we want is to say, this person produced this much torque and then be reasonably confident that if we measured them again within a short enough time period where adaptation did not occur or someone else came and measured it, they would get something roughly within that same area. And that's the fundamental thing is how do we do that as clinicians? Because it's very important that when we go in and we think that we're measuring something, that we're actually measuring what we think we're measuring. Uh, it's actually more dangerous to do it wrong and then 
confidently go into the unknown than it is to do it uh, not at all and just say, yeah, I don't know. Because if you don't know, you, you approach the world differently, right? If you walk into a house and the lights are off and you've never been there before, you're going to walk very differently than if you walk into your own house and the lights are off because you think you know. Now, if you're a partner, rearranged the furniture and didn't tell you, you walked in confidently, but you found out reality and your belief did not match up. And that's really where a lot of times I, I found in my both in my own practice, but also working with students and teaching. A lot of times we strong, we believe that measuring strength mattered, but then what we did was not measuring the thing that we wanted to measure. And then we had this number that we thought represented strength and we were using it to make decisions off of. And yet it did not actually, if you went back, you would not get the same measure, right? And let alone the whole debate about whether or not that strength measure mattered for the thing that you told your patient, right? Okay, you're, mm -hmm. you're going to have a you know, 50% reduction in your risk of re-injury because of this. You didn't measure the thing and you don't even know if the thing matters. So we're, we're far enough away when we're starting to deal with proxies that we want to do a very good job with it. And so that was really kind of what fundamentally got me interested and in where a lot of the discussion on just the foundational ideas of biomechanics and of testing and measurement and reproducibility of what we did. Um, and then so reliability being that whole, can we repeat within a reasonable margin of error, the same thing over and over. And then validity starting to be instead of this whole thing that you remember dimly being taught in uh, uni at some point, Validity is how you interpret those data to your situation. That's really, it's, it's on you, right? It's you, it's not me. That's the, the, in my slide, when I talk about this, I have that as, you know, the whole classic breakup is, uh, it's not you, it's me. Well, no, it's you, right? It's your job with strength to take those measures when with any measurement It's your job to interpret that to that individual. And so all of those concepts is really why I started putting this together. It was, both as I dug deeper into it and also the instead of I get a lot of questions um, and it's easier to refer people to a single source than it is to repeatedly type it out each time. So that was the other uh, initiative for it. You get questions on social media, but also within your work and colleagues and you'd be yeah. answering teaching, the same question yep. and teaching, answering the qu same question principles over and over. So you've got your website and your other outputs to sort of summarize those principles. So let's talk about those because they're, they're really important. Say I'm measuring somebody's knee extensive strength post ACL reconstruction. Um, and that's a really important outcome measure. We've got lots of research that says that knee extensive strength is related to lots of, lots of other patient outcomes. So we want to do a really good job and not obviously not just guess what their strength is based on guessing. You want to measure it, but that's not enough, is it? You do, you do need to measure it properly. So let's talk about the specifics right. of how you might set somebody up and the, the variables that um, you might consider. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing to consider is whether or not they're appropriate for a maximum test, right? So usually post-op is not going to be a problem. Pain will limit it to some uh, point, but something as simple as you know, I usually test at 90 degrees. If I don't have access to an isokinetic device, if I do, I'll set them up in 60 uh, just because it's easier to set up there. But so stage one is if their knee is all blown up and angry, you don't really need to do a max test at that point to know that things are going on. So it 
it's really that step one is, is this measure going to be meaningful for me right now? Right. If they come in and they're blown up and upset, you already know what you're going to do. A difference in the strength test tells you nothing that's going to change your process. And so maybe not the time. So knowing when you want to do it. Um, key things I'm looking for is a knee that's happy and uh, enough range of motion to get them into position without pain. Right. So that's that's step one. Step two, then, is does the device that I have have the ability to give me the units that I care about? Right. That's one of the things that I'll tell people is when you measure something, the device that you use should spit out the units that matter to you. Right. If it's if it's giving you a measure in you know noodles per package, it probably doesn't matter from a, if we're talking strength, there are basic characteristics. Right. So here we know Newton's is our measure of force. Um, we usually convert it because we think in the idea of kilos or pounds, but those are more of a measure of mass because of the uh, the gravity. But it's it's fine to kind of clinically visualize it there. But Newton's are kind of what we're thinking about. So does my device have the ability to do that? And then does it have the ability to do that at the rate of measurement that I'm doing? And this is where some of the crane scales, I think, fall a little short is there's a one to two second lag time between when the force is applied and when it captures it. And I've set these up three or four in line and just pulled at different rates to see what happens. And you'll see all sorts of variation in some of them versus the other. So you want a device that's actually capable of telling you what happened during that time point. And this is just basic signal collection and uh, data processing type thing. So once you've got those, then it's a matter of, all right, so let's talk knee extension, right? So we're sitting the person down, we're gonna measure with the knee at 90 degree angle. Well fixation is very important. And we have a few different things that need to be fixated. One is the patient themselves. They need to fixate. If they're moving around, you're changing the joint angle. You're giving them the ability to do other things or even lift themselves off the seat. If they're coming off the seat and there's no hard stop, you are measuring how much torque it takes to lift them out of the seat, not how much their knee is capable of producing, right? So fixating them on the device. Make sure that the box or table or platform or plant that they're sitting on is strong enough to handle the forces that they're putting out, right? Everybody's uh, seen some real rickety setup somewhere, and I've had people tell me about breaking tables doing this. Like, be sure, you know, safety is important here. And then the setup of your equipment matters. The strap that you're fixating their ankle with, it needs to be something that's capable of handling the force that's going to go through it. It also needs to be comfortable. If it's uncomfortable, you're not measuring the amount of force that they can produce. You're measuring how much they can tolerate, right? So there's all these potential barriers that all the gauge measures is the amount of strain or the amount of force that went through it, right? It doesn't know why that force went through it. It just measures what went through it. So it's our job to make sure that the weakest link is the individual's ability to extend the knee. Um, for knee extension, I just don't have people do it with a handheld aspect because you, you can't. It's like It's too strong. It's kind of like the soleus. If you're testing the soleus by pushing down, people can push you up in the air well before you're going to hit max, right? So same 
typically with the knee extension, you need to have enough force to be okay with this. Um, so those those are sort of your setup cues, right? So you have the fixation of the individual, and then you need the alignment of the line of pull. You want that line of pull to be a 90 degree angle with the moment arm. And the moment arm would be a straight line from the point where you're applying the resistance to the center of uh, rotation for the knee. Now in the uh, knee, this also lines up with the lever arm, which is right that tibia. So it, you can just pretty much visualize that pretty easily. So once you've got all those set up, then the way that you apply the process matters, right? So you can do all that, right? But if one time you have person come in, pop right on and go after it, another time they have four of their buddies around after a warm up, and everybody's yelling at them to go, 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 you're going to get very different measures as well. So be systematic, the same warm up each time. So typically what I'll do is just standardize a more kind of five minutes on the bike. Maybe you do a couple walking lunges, some body weight squats, whatever it is that you want to build in. And then you go sit down. I'll usually do a 50% effort, 75% effort, and a 95 to 100% effort. And each of those efforts is my point to tweak the system slightly. If I see that there's more slack than I thought there was in the system, I get to cinch things down a little bit. So by the time they're hitting 90, not only are they warmed up, but I've tested my setup to where it's doing what I want. And then you go ahead and you do your tests, make sure you're resting long enough in between. The research is all over the place on this. 30 seconds to one minute seems to be sufficient for these. They're max effort. They're not really that fatiguing, two to five second holds. Um, usually you can get three good efforts within that time frame. And then the last aspect is the cueing. You want to encourage them and you want to use the same words each time. So. Kick out as fast and hard as you can is what you'll say if you're all, if you're looking for a rate. Most of the time, we just want peak force. So usually what I'll say is I want you to kick out as hard as you can, building up to a max over the first one to two seconds and then holding until I tell you to stop. And then while they're kicking, I'm saying kick, kick, kick or push, push, push or whatever's relevant for um, your group. And it's the interesting thing is internationally, different places will have different terms. Like I've even seen some who will say pull or right, whatever it is, be consistent, always be consistent. And as long as you're doing those things, well, you've controlled for most of the things that you can actually control for. Is the test meaningful right now? Is it safe? Is it appropriate? Does the device have the ability to measure the right units? And we talked about the importance of uh, newtons, but you know, kilograms and pounds can be intuitive as well, but really we're talking about newtons. And then some really good information there about the setup and the fixation of the person and their comfort and the cueing and warming up. And what, as a summary to all that, I'd say you, you're going to make a really good PhD student. You already are enrolled in your PhD because what you do naturally and what you're really dr um, drawn towards is um, having a, a really clear, reproducible, standardized format for what you do. So therefore you can minimize that error that's occurring and errors inherent in everything, but you're minimizing that error. So therefore you can see, uh, potentially see real change from your exercises. Right. Is that a fair summary of everything that you've said? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, the world, it's all so murky anyway, that the last thing, a lot of times people say, well, it's already messy. So then they'll add more mess. And that never made sense to me, right? You want to be as good as you can possibly be, 
but also understand the limitations that you face. So just because you've done all of that does not mean that your number is exact. There's This is why we measure error, right? This is why we look at something like the standard error measure or whatever we look at around. Because of the fact that we do everything right, there's still noise. It's our job to reduce that noise. And then it's also our job to understand the level of uncertainty that we're facing. And one of the key things I think there is realizing that it's not that there's not an exact number for the torque that was produced at the knee. It's that you don't know what that exact number is, right? So uncertainty is on us. It's our ability to know. We just don't have the ability to know everything. Uh, it's like someone flips a coin and they're holding their hand over it and you guess heads or tails. It's already flipped. It's already is one or the other. The uncertainty is inherent to you and your knowledge. And that's what we're doing is we're just constantly under informed about everything we do. So we're trying to approach the world, giving ourselves as much information as possible while also understanding that within that information is a ton of uncertainty. So that those are usually the two biggest things that I'll see is people who believe that the number they've got is now, you know, the 10 commandments or the words of some deity that can't be. No, it's just, it gets you closer to accurate, but you still need to understand that you don't know much. Or the other end is, you know, the person who's like, oh, I can tell if you're weak by the way you walk. Well, no, you can't. <laughs> so you've, you know, you've got a torque calculator on your website and physiopraxis.co. So you can mm -hmm. calculate torque, body weight normalized and, and, and just talk. Um, there's some, it seems to me that there's quite a simple step in applying some of this and upgrading your, if you're currently a clinician who say uses a manual muscle test and press and guess and says, well, like, you know, I can feel the difference. And we know from the research that you can't, and you can upgrade pretty quickly to measuring peak torque and get it as reproducible as you can using some fairly simple steps. And then you, know, you can use apps. You've got an app and you've got a, a torque calculator on your website. And why is mm -hmm. it important for people to consider torque and body weight normalized torque rather than just measuring peak force? We'll go back to so basics. The yeah, right. So it's because the torque is equal to the um, force times the moment arm times the uh, angle, basically the uh, sign of the angle or uh, yeah, of the angle that you're measuring at. So we measure at a 90 degree angle to make that one. So we don't have to think about it. So the things that we care about is moment arm and force. Now, if I did a if I had an individual and I tested them three times and I moved the point of application from right below the patellar uh, tendon and then mid shin and then down at the ankle, I'm going to get a different force measure each time, even though the torque may have been the same each time. So if you are measuring the same person and you always use the same bony landmarks and all you care about is symmetry, then force is probably okay because you're normalizing them to that situation. But as soon as we zoom out from that individual person and we're not trying to normalize them to some broad group, we're just looking symmetry limb to limb, then we need a frame of reference that is universal for everybody within it. And that's why torque matters. It allows us to look at what the knee created as opposed to what force was produced if that makes sense. And the force being produced is 
there's genetic limits on how, you know, how long their shin is, where you set things up, but there's a whole host of other things. But if we can normalize torque, that is what the joint actually created. And then we can comp start comparing to body weight to other people, right? To other, and then we can get some norms and we can start looking at those things. If your norms are based off of force, then you're just adding more error to the equation because those norms are not only based off of the variation and torque that was being created, but also the limb length of everyone who's being measured. So that's why we use torque is it's just a way to really uh, narrow things down and let us compare like with like. And we're not adding a lot of work here. If a clinician is going to upgrade from a manual muscle test to having the best measure of torque they can, because all you need there is a tape measure to measure from the light, the, the distance from the joint axis to the point where you applied your the center of your resistance through the device you're using and the force, the peak force. So you've got instructional videos on your, on, on Instagram. We'll put the handles yep. and in, on all the links to everything you've got in the show notes. Um, and there's lots of resources online for people. I just wanted to make the point that yes, we're talking about the fundamental principles and biomechanics here, but there's a really important reason that you need to do this and it can be such a big upgrade to what you're doing if you're just currently using a manual muscle test and it doesn't add a lot of time and just thinking about Correct. yeah that, that might be, a lot of the testing positions may also be exercise positions as well so the the cueing and instructions yeah. you're using to set people up there and even you know monitoring them and warming them up all of that will be a part of their strength training as well You've oh, got yeah. um, that's the same that's the same setup I use for patellar tendons if I'm doing isometric work with them whether I'm doing long holds or I'm actually trying to get just uh, strain relaxation uh, repeated cycles through that tendon. it's the exact same setup it's all the there's nothing different and the biggest thing I would say is if it's not like it's adding more work it's actually making the thing that you wanted occur right it's where it's Sometimes I'll use the analogy of, you know, people like, oh, it takes extra effort to go over to the fridge, open it and get out the, the food. OK, but if you're sitting there and just putting your spoon in your bowl, you're not actually eating. And that's where manual muscle testing is typically you're going through motions or either just don't do that and admit, well, we don't know. That's fine. You can then, you know, approach the world not knowing. But if you felt that it was meaningful to test force, then actually like do the thing that tests force. And this is kind of a very bare minimum. It's very fast. It doesn't take long. And if you felt that it was important, then it, like anything worth doing is worth doing well, right? As the old saying goes, um, it doesn't take a ton of time. Like we're talking eight minutes or so probably to get through this the first time. And then if it's during a clinical session, they're, war they're warmed up by the time they've done this. I do the peak test. I've got my peak. And then now maybe I'm having them do holds at 80% of that. Well, they're just still in that same setup. And now we're going right into some of the isometrics that we were going to do anyway. So it's it added nothing really to that um, time frame. So, yeah, I find it it blends in seamlessly. And it's also standardized, reproducible. So you can you know, reproduce and can continue on with your rehab and your exercises. And look, that doesn't mean something like the Oxford scale doesn't have any use. Its use is to see if someone can hold the weight of their leg against gravity, for example, and therefore can Correct. walk when they have just, you know, day one post-op and can you put weight on your leg? It's a field test. It's That's not what we're talking about here. And sometimes in these conversations with people have had a bit of conflation between 
um, you know, we'll, we'll throw out the Oxford test at the same – well, no, that's the Oxford test is to see if you can lift your limb against gravity. It's got its place, but we're talking, right. we're talking about what's, what's beyond that. And if you only rely yeah, so on you, a grade you lifted five measurement. Your leg. Hmm. Yeah, you lifted your leg against gravity. So now you've hit the ceiling of that test. The test no longer has value. You can keep doing the test over and over, but you don't get any new information. Once that test has been passed, you need another test that has a higher ceiling. And that's really where it comes in. So yeah, if they can't, if they come in and they can't do lift their leg against gravity, well, that goes back to that first question when you had asked, you know, how, what do you do? Well, you ask if it's appropriate to test this. If they can't lift their leg against gravity, you probably don't need to do a more formal test. You've already, you've understood that. So yeah, it all, it all feeds in together. What devices would you buy if you're, you've tried lots of different devices and on the MMRU podcast that we've just recorded, um, we were just we just um, were saying that neither of us have any conflicts of interest or receive any money um, for anything. We're just interested in talking about the latest tech and what are the more affordable options or the best options even for if you're going to buy a dynamometer or a testing setup for the first time in terms of devices. Yeah, I think at this point, the most affordable option with the smoothest interface and just the simplest thing, not only for myself, but now dozens of people who have got it as well, is probably the Tindeq, T-I-N-D-E-Q. Um, it's probably like it's basically the cost of two crane scales and will do more than 4,000 grand scales could ever do for you. So it's just the app interface is slick. It lets you prescribe exercise. It lets you do isometric training at percentages and all. You can test endurance. You can touch test peak. He's updating the app to where it's going to have a very robust um, rate of force development test. So it's kind of a no brainer to me. If you're looking for the lowest level to come in at, the tin deck, it's pool only, but if you want to measure upper extremity, that's easy to do. You just get a loop and a handle and then you set everything up in pool. It doesn't have, you don't need a push in order to do like internal external rotation. You just set up slightly differently. Um, up from there, there's a whole host and it's exciting how many new things are coming out. Um, currently, I still have not used one that I like better than the uh, one that I worked with uh, JLW to kind of modify. So it's if you type in on Google JLW P Praxis, it'll pop up. Um, it has a 500 pound limit and it sets up for push or pull. Um, works very well. We've used it. Um, I've had a ton of professional teams who use it now and feedback is good across the board. It's just, in fact, I've owning five to eight dynamometers at different points in time, it's still the one that I usually grab for um, when I'm doing something and I keep the tin deck in the inline setup where we'll go do stuff there. Um, Vald has a new one coming out that's interesting. So if you're already bought into their uh, system, that might be something to look into. I have not used that much. I've just talked to them about it. It looks interesting. Um, same, I know Hawken is building one as well. I don't know as much about it at this point, but which, if you're you know invested in either of those systems, that might be something to look at that would just integrate with your data interface pretty well. Um, there's, there's a lot of other ones out there as well, but, the those first two are the ones that just, I haven't tried anything yet that was better and or cheaper than the 10 deck or the, uh, Mark 10 that's been modified. Talking about the devices, it strikes me that this is similar to, um, talking about running shoes 
It's often the first <laughs> thing that comes up and, oh, let's just spend half yeah. an hour talking about that and then maybe we'll talk about some of the specifics like whether we should be, whether they actually are likely to be weak and where the strength is important to them and the, the setup and everything. So we've we spent a lot of time covering the really important stuff there. And, and it, it's good to have some a starting point if someone's listening to this and they're going to, okay, I'm convinced I'm, I'm going to start upgrading my strength testing setup. They've got some things to look at. So some devices to look at as well. Um, let's, let's finish off with your PhD. Where, where are you enrolled in your PhD and what's your PhD about? Oh yeah, so it's it's been uh, almost a three-year uh, fiasco at this point. Uh, with uh, things were really ramping up, it was supposed to be um, um, University of Technology Sydney, um, but with COVID kicking off, uh, just it, foreign students, it was not a a great time to be dealing. So we've been uh, fortunate enough to. Uh, so I'm enrolled with uh, University of uh, Verona. Um, in Italy. Um, uh, Franco Lampazzari is my uh, advisor, as well as Federico Sheena and Patrick Ward. Um, and we're looking into more psychometric properties and contextual validation of human force measurement. So it's kind of these basic principles of what what does it what is a force, right? What is strength? What does it mean to measure it? And um, are we doing are we doing that well and how do we do it better? So when we say that we tested strength, what did we actually test? So to me, it's kind of going back to where there's a lot of discussion about these things that we tested strength and then we looked at those things and uh, we have a, a whole host of, you know, centuries of people poking at things and figuring out how to measure it, that maybe we could do a little better about figuring out how to measure whatever this construct strength is that we're doing. So that's, kind of the area that we're uh, digging into and it's been fun. You've chosen well with your topic. You know, you haven't chosen a topic <laughs> right? that's completely out of your field, although there's some merits in, in that you learn different skills and you'll learn enough skills in a PhD anyway to, you got to choose a topic that's, that gets you out of bed in the morning. So yeah, right. it almost right. fits it. It's so, almost the entire podcast episode is very similar to your PhD kind of, topic. Kind of within. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, as I'm sure you've uh, seen with many different people, there's when you're later in your career, there's a number of topics that would have done that. This mm. one, just honestly, for me, what's fascinating is more measurement as a field is fascinating. And so doing measurement well, force is one of the things that I care about. So it's more of a, uh, it's a vehicle to carry that aspect forward. And then some of the more interesting questions around, so I got a number, what does that mean? Uh, and some of these things of responsiveness of looking at this and maybe can we, can we get an idea of what change is meaningful enough to where we can have some level of uh, estimate of the probability that what we're doing, we should keep doing? Or should I change what I'm doing? So kind of questions around that is, I think, more, you know, if you, it's been 15 years or so of me kicking cans and saying, hmm, I wonder if I could have done a better job at that. And so it's kind of a, a way to go back and poke at some of those questions and see if there's actually something better to do. I think every PhD is a three to five year fiasco. It's, it's the <laughs> right. normal summary of it, but it sounds like you've got yeah. something that's really in your wheelhouse and topic area and and I know listeners are going to be interested in hearing more from you. I'd love to chat to you again in the future. Um, 
any final thoughts on anything else I haven't asked you that you wanted to cover related to strength or rehabilitation? Uh, not, not broad. I mean, the, the single fundamental thing I think is realize that we as humans are dealing with a cloud of uncertainty and all we're doing is making decisions under uncertainty. And the more you understand how to make decisions under uncertainty, the more other things start clicking and making sense. Um, the reason why testing strength seems to be meaningful is because it seems to be an anchor that allows us to reorient ourselves. I'm, I use the OODA loop all the time in both education and then my own thought process for, uh, so it's observe, orient, decide, act comes from, uh, Boyd, who was a fighter pilot, but you'll see a lot of the same, the Kinevin framework is another one that there's a lot of different frameworks, but the fundamental thing is everything we do in life is dealing with uncertainty, making a decision. And then there's other things that happen and we have to be fast enough to update ourselves so that we are responding appropriately to the situation that's in front of us instead of responding to the situation that we experienced five days, 10 days, right? A lot of times what we do is we respond appropriately for a situation that no longer exists and that's a problem. Uh, so that's fundamentally where all of this stuff comes into play to me is when it comes to this test well, and then training starts being simple when you just know, all right, if you, you know, there's, you can get very nuanced and it's fun to talk about all that stuff, but honestly, some drop sets, taking things to failure here and there, making sure you're getting good effort, you're probably checking boxes. And the more you can remove yourself and your own ability to mess things up from the equation, the better things are. Gold. Excellent. Thanks, Scott. Um, what about um, your, I've mentioned physiopraxis.co and what are your Twitter and Instagram handles so people can see all this great summary information that you put out there? I know your, your Instagram and your Twitter have a slightly different audience and there'll probably be yes. people from both of those audiences here listening to this. So what are your handles? And I'll so, pop them in the show notes yeah, as well. Yeah, so- um, uh, Instagram, it tends to be more educational. Like I have videos of all those devices we've talked about and sort of go through that and discussion of all this stuff. Uh, it's physio underscore praxis. And then my Twitter is at S C O T M O R R S N. Um, I tend to get a handful of, uh, angry Australians uh, tweeting or private messaging me because of <laughs> <laughs> we made it this far in the conversation without doing yeah, that gag. I was going to ask you whether you've had some angry tweets sent. Oh to yeah, you. all the time. Oh, wow. all the time. Do, have you had some funny responses? When the, have you yeah, sent so some funny I, responses uh, to people, or you just let them go? So no, I I actually tag uh, James Heather's anytime that somebody does that. So James Heather's is a. Uh, uh, researcher who's now in industry, um, but very, uh, very quick witted. So I'll, anytime that somebody uh, tweets me, I tag James Heathers as my um, uh, hired hand to set all of those things. And yeah, it's, it's always uh, quite funny. So if you go on, if you can't find the business uh, Instagram, if you go on Instagram at S-E-O-T-M-O-R-S-N, it's just my personal photography fly fishing one, but I have a link in there to my uh, regular site as well. So those are the two main ways to get a hold of me. You can send me a message if you want to go through email. Uh, the um, website has a form where you can just drop in there, but honestly, in today's world, it's a lot easier just to drop a PM either on Instagram or uh, Twitter and 
makes life easy. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> really, you're really generous with your time. And as I mentioned, this is how we got to have this podcast chat. And the, our original plan was just to have a big discussion and share ideas, which is so good, so, uh, so natural um, to make time for that. With And you, I know that you do that often. You, you've met with a lot of different people and that's an important um, way of developing yourself and networking. It's, it's so easy now, isn't it? You can just get onto Zoom right. and talk to people all over the world. There's really no excuse. So, and that, look, that's really generous, generous of you to put your um, offer to answer questions and put your details out there for listeners. So take advantage of that, everybody. And um, if you have any questions about those setups for strength measurement in clinical practice, you've got lots of resources there on Instagram and on Twitter for the listeners of this podcast. If you've made it this far, um, thank you for listening. I'm sure you found the episode really interesting. And of course, if you did, you should share it because there'll be someone else out there who finds it interesting as well. So please find the little three dots and find the share button and share it with your friends and on social media. And you can tag in Susanna and I at Periton Physio, and you can find all the links to all the different podcast players on our website, which is periton.physio. And until next time, this is Scott and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying and professional development and lifelong learning. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Luke.